everybody. Good evening. Good day, readers. Good morning, readers, wherever, you, whenever you may be listening to this. I'm here with some people. Hello, people. Hello, Hello people. Hello, Ken, people. Uh, the people are not all billowing people. Uh, Lucas is here. Dr. Eusebio Spider Lucas. Hello. And we also have Mike and we have Steve. And Mike and Steve are readers. We are here. We've gathered in the command pod. We're at the halfway point in our uh, story and we thought we'd stop and have a little bit of a breather have a bit of a chat about the age of worms the adventure in the more general sense we will not talk if we can about anything that happens after the beginning of book seven which you may or may not by the time you listen to this have heard the beginning of but uh, a warning if you are catching up with the billowing hilltop podcast uh, this is going to be spoiler-tastic on the events of the first six books there is no way around it mike hello mike hi how are you doing mike mike is also running the Age of Worms, but he's also a reader, so he's familiar with this the show. Steve, to... hello, Steve. Hi, Mike. Steve is a reader and a DM, uh, and he's running a Curse of Strahd campaign, and we thought it would be interesting to have Steve in the command pod with us to talk about DMing in general and get his thoughts and reflections and questions around the Age of Worms. And I have, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Eusebio Spider-Lucas. Hello. I'm not sure that he knows why he's here, but we will work <laughs> that one out as we go. We'll work that one out as we go. So can I just ask again, because I'm a bit slow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if Mike... You run Age of Worms, but you also do it as a podcast. Is that right? No. So I've, no. I started listening to you guys just as I was starting to run. I was picking up the DM reins, and I thought I really liked the um, Whispering Cairns. So I thought, well, I'll run Age of Worms because there's a huge wealth of stuff, basically, that I don't really need to prep for because I could just listen to right. your podcasts. That's interesting right. you say that because I tended I got into listening to actual play podcasts in order to prep yeah. Yeah, yeah. adventures basically and to prep systems. There's a podcast called well, it's like a podcast network or whatever called RPG MP3 who have been around forever. A guy called Hal. He's originally from Cumbria, but he's now in I think Houston or Austin or Dallas or something. And they've been going forever. They're like the originals. And initially, it was, you know, a recorder in the middle of a table as they played D&D, &D, and mm. you could hear the fridge door opening and closing, and dogs barking out the window. I was trying to teach myself fourth edition. So that was 2008. Those of you who remember fourth edition, irrespective of any of its discussion of its merits, it's just really different. Yeah, it was a huge step, wasn't it? <sighs> ah, I remember reading the book and just thinking, I don't know that I can DM this without it being a bit of a mess. Yeah. Mm. I listened to these guys play... And that was what taught me fourth edition. And I then got into the glass cannon to teach myself how to play Starfinder. Yeah. For me, it's a really good way of learning systems and adventures. Well, yeah, absolutely. Right. And it was, it was very much that I was enjoying the story because I came late to the party. So I had loads to sort of binge listen. And I was thinking, well, I shall, you know, I really enjoy this. So you are not the only I shall, one. Uh, I shall do this one. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's an interesting and, one. It's also because I, I played um, 3.5. I think was the yeah. last. I yeah. never played fourth edition ever, and then right. fifth edition came out, and I was doing other stuff. And when I when I came to it, like podcasts were just an alien thing to me. I, I wasn't listening to that. But it, when Curse of Strahd came around, uh, I was I was actually DMing it for a totally different group. And I thought, do you know what? There must be some things on YouTube I can look look at. And and what happened yeah. was that you sort of saw the the live play stuff and i just couldn't get on with it of, of watching people mm. the people movement and talking took your mm. mind away from the words what was going yeah. on the story so i switched and then found podcasts which just were much much easier as a as a medium to go through so an audio medium uh, but it helped I think me it's just, yeah 
it's easier to just to have it on the background. You can be driving, you can be doing whatever, you can do the washing up, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 I, I listen to loads of podcasts walking to work. I have a 25 yeah. minute walk in and out. And that's exactly what I use podcasts for. I, I, if I was to watch it on YouTube, I just wouldn't have the time. But yeah. also, you'd bump into things, right, on the way to work. I would, yes. Work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crossing the road would be very um, interesting. Not wanting to, to diss them, but of course, the critical role people and the glass cannon people, of course, they're all basically, they're essentially all actors in some shape or other with time on their hands. And so a lot of them started that because it was a good calling card, you know. Don't have yes, any I mean, acting jobs. Let's play some D&D. Yeah. I think Glass Cannon's a bit of a mix. The Glass Cannon audio podcast is a, is a wonderful thing. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's also snowballed in this ecosystem of streamy stuff. It's become this yeah. bigger thing. Yeah, I, I listened to the first at least sort of 12, 13 episodes of uh, the Glass Cannon and, and got quite into it because the DM was like literally watching us, you know, uh, an American sitcom yeah. host. Yeah. You know, he, he was fantastic, but it got to sort of 13, whatever it was. And, and sometimes I think there just is a, a, a bit where you can become a bit overloaded and I yeah. have to stop. And maybe that, that is a podcast with me for a lot of them where I have to give myself a break a little bit between yeah. episodes. Maybe I get to 12, 13 and think I'm saturated. Now I need to sort of go and listen to something else. Oh, that, uh, so are you talking about the sort of the, the Starfinder glass cannon or the other? Uh, no, the the original. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Because their Starfinder highly recommended. I mean, the, the story with Mac yeah. is just one of the most greatest, most brilliant bits of engineered d Maple syrup, whatever that, that bit is one of the, the funniest maple things. Maple syrup bit. And yeah, and, one, you know, and that, I mean, the big, the boss fight at the end is just. Yeah. And, I don't know yes, how that, they managed. I mean, you know. They did it with dice, supposedly, but just fantastic. Oh, I haven't heard that. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start a, uh, a Starfinder campaign um, in the next couple of weeks. So, oh, I'm well, like, uh, Mike. Mike, Androids and Aliens is where yeah, you should be. Androids, Androids and, aliens. and Aliens, definitely right. worth listening. Their particular approach and their sense of humour works better almost in a modern world than in a yes, fantasy world. True. Yes. Okay. Right. I so, shall look it's, that up. so it's kind yeah. of funnier it's very good on teaching you the rules of starfinder that's why yeah. because that's how i taught myself starfinder again and, we and they played run androids and aliens as well didn't we we played well, we the, played the dead sons adventure yeah. path dead, because yeah, i li- yeah right. that was the first one they released so i just listened to them play that through in order to work out what on earth was going on it's a good point that's a good, they spark off ideas a lot of the time even if you, you know you scribble it down and you got half the time you've forgotten them or chucked them in the bin but but it's just they can play a yes. character in a different way that you just pick up on little elements of it and i found it really really uh informative for me when i when i listen to the strad ones just to give me some ideas and pointers of where i shouldn't go as well as much as what you should do if we're not to go yes. and i think that the glass cannon guys just work so well together sometimes you can yeah. get a little bit carried along with them and and, yeah. and can't pick out things because you're so carried along with a story and they're acting which is interesting they're like new school, old school players. Old school, around the table, D&D, but they are more enthusiastic role players, backstory creators, voice actors than your average gaming group. And I think that kind of works yeah. for me, which is like you get a little bit more like heightened reality. We are not that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I come up with something the other day. I was thinking, what, what if I could encapsulate what you guys are? I said... 
sometimes oh it's yeah i know yeah just hold your breath don't don't cut me off um i said mm. it sometimes it sounds like the famous five have grown up and have learned how to play D and D. Fuck <laughs> off! <laughs> no, that's, that's absolutely well, spot on. But, I mean, <laughs> my, under, my understanding of the word actor is is that it's actually a, a term from UML system design. So, I mean, that's what I know about actors. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody knows no, what you're I, talking about. I know. I know exactly what. Oh it's god. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I don't know about the fate. That's just incredibly insulting. <laughs> I think it makes sense, actually. If you think about it, what do what no, do I don't dogs, want to think about no, it. No, we do, have to take it, Mike. What do dogs regularly do? They fall asleep, don't they? Johnny is Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> right, but then he's not in the Famous Five. I want to know who's Dick. Tim, that's the, Timmy <laughs> was in, Timmy that's was the, in the Famous Five. That's the important... Oh, yeah, it's June. Uh, lashings, yeah. lashings of ginger beer just turn into lashings yeah. of beer, basically. That's oh, it. Soda yeah. stream. Yeah. Tonight's beer, by the way, is the classic neck oil. Yum, yum. Ah, Delicious. Ditto. Ditto. Crisp, sharp, summer beer. Yum, mm. yum. And I have a Gloucester Brewery Cascade, which is very nice. A thought was prompted by something that Steve just said. I wonder, when we're listening to these other podcasts, using them as a source of research for the actual adventures that we're going to run, how much they've changed what they're doing. You can see where I'm going with this. In order to make the adventure that they're running through work in a show rather than work in, as it were, real life. Does that make sense as a question? I think it does make sense as a question. And I think I think that's where you and I probably have very different experiences. I know yeah. I know we've spoken quite extensively about changes that you've had to make in order to make the the podcast more interesting. And I've I've stayed true to the book because, frankly, I don't, you know, it's whether I'm enjoying it um, and and nobody else. <laughs> I have made changes from The Adventurers published, sort of, to make it work in the, the rule that we set ourselves when we did this was we were just going to play D&D as we always played D&D and record it and then tidy it up and put it out and see if it turned into anything. And it's turned into loads and loads of episodes. And we have, I think, comfortably, at least 12 loyal readers which has made it all worthwhile. Ten, not including you two. But actually, most of the changes I've made have been because I've been reading ahead and thinking, I think they're going to get bored of this bit. Those two things serve the same purpose, right? Because it's all about removing stuff. It's basically, I've just chopped loads out. Should we talk about the Age of Worms? Like, as an adventure? I don't know where to start. Has anybody got any questions? I don't think it's a question. I think I just, sort of, I suppose it pertains to what you've just been talking about, is the only person that can really decide whether it's right or wrong i suppose as you might because the players are just with you know sort of dancing to your tune really so if, if you feel oh, yes. that something is uh not right and you've cut it out or added in whatever yeah. the guys are not going to know until you bring it out and i think that throughout the show i don't think from what i've i've spoke to mike about of, of his game there's nothing that stands out where or, or let, let me ask you that question do you feel there's any part of that that has suddenly fallen down a hole and you think why did i do that it's difficult to prove an absence or whatever it is, or to prove a negative, right? Mm -hmm. So most of the stuff has been removal. It's very difficult to say, well, I took that out and the whole, right? If I added stuff in, then it didn't work. And I have added some stuff in, but really more backgroundy stuff. If mm -hmm. I added stuff in and it didn't work, then I'd be like, you're an idiot. Why did you put that whole bit in? It, was, yeah. it went on forever. They were all bored. Yeah. It just didn't work. Removing stuff, it's very difficult to prove to yourself, right? It's very difficult to assess whether or not that was the right idea. Yeah. because you never know what it would have been like if you'd left it in. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I, I'm coming at it from a slight different angle in that where you're saying you can't disprove a negative or you can't prove a negative, I sort of think you can in some ways because one of the things that I struggled with with Age of Worms being such a, a big body of work, all printed out, it's probably two and a half inches thick. Right. It's a huge amount of work. And mm. one of the things that I didn't want to do was take stuff out that I then subsequently thought, oh, why have we taken that out? You know, I've messed something up now because a whole section yeah. is not here. And and actually, I think adding stuff in in a published adventure is probably easier than, than taking it out. Because once you take it out, you can't, you know, I, there was a few bits that I sort of glossed over with my guys um, yeah. that then just didn't make sense. That's interesting. Which bits did you gloss over? Chapters one to seven. Yeah. Oh, Dan has joined us. Hello, Dan. Hello. Hello. Evening. Dan is late to the command pod. We were meant to be chatting about the Age of Worms, but we've only just started. We've been chatting about podcasts. But Dan, meet Mike, who is running the Age of Worms and is a Hi, reader. Hi, Mike. Hi. And meet Steve, who is not running the Age of Worms, but is also a reader. Hi, Steve. Hi, Dan. Just as you know, Dr. Eusebio spider Lucas, and he doesn't know you, you know Dan, and Dan doesn't know you. It's kind of weird, but there we go. Yes. That's the odd thing about doing a podcast. Um, that's broadcast media for you, isn't it? That, oh, broad, Ooh. narrowcast. Broadcast yeah. media for you. Twelvecast. <laughs> we were talking about removing stuff from an adventure, not necessarily just for a podcast, but just in general. And it, mm. it turns out that Mike, as he's been running The Age of Worms, by the way, I think we should say up, up front that Mike has finished running The Age of Worms. Oh. And he started after we did. Yeah, well, that's so not quite, what the fuck has been going on there. Well, there, is, there obviously got better players than. Well, the point here is that he <laughs> yeah, said he'd much. remove some stuff. I'm just wondering exactly how much he re- well he removed <laughs> books but four to eight, all the monsters, <laughs> <laughs> all the monsters and all the doors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I won't. I won't give details because it's um, not after the beginning of uh, book. Yeah, seven. exactly. Yeah. Some of the things I removed were in book seven and. It then Did sort you? of bit it bit me a little bit. Okay. Where certain things then didn't really flow. Um, the reason how many reason books in finished, total are there again? There are twelve, 12 books. Twelve. Twelve. Oh long books. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Oh my god. And, and that's the reason. That's the reason we finished. Is I felt that so we got up to the end of book eight and yeah. from book eight and I, I won't I won't give anything huge away there's actually Mm. only two or three things that you need to do but they managed to sort of spin it out into four books this isn't Uh, selling the show mike (laughs) (laughs) well exactly you're gonna have to cut this bit out no 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 we'll keep it we'll keep all of this once you've got through seven it's going to be really boring for four (laughs) no no no. this this thought has occurred to me mike i'm acutely conscious because this again we were talking about glass cannon right they get into the the closing section of that enormous adventure path they do Everything becomes hugely kind of high level, 15th level, 16th, 17th level. And Paizo do tend to kind of get a bit, well, you know what I mean, Mike. It tends to become a bit of a procession. Yes, and that's that's very much the way I felt it was going. And yeah. I, wanted, I wanted to wrap the story up at about level 15, 16, rather than 20. Just yeah. because it felt as though it was uh, starting to sort of stall a little bit. Particularly for my players. This is the thing that we've got to face. I read a certain amount ahead, but I don't read too far ahead. And I'm conscious that 
though I think I've done an enormous amount of editing and fixing and changing in the bits that we've done before, I don't think that's going to be anything compared to what we're going to do later. And I wonder whether or not we're going to condense quite a lot the material in the last section of the adventure. I think we're going to condense quite a lot. You could bring a lot of other stuff to play to make it pace properly. The thing yeah. that I'm interested in is is how D&D 5 plays at high level. Because one of the things that I, you know, I understand from the game is that, that it's intended to in, extend the sweet spot. So we've played you know, many adventures and kind of finished around 13th level when it starts getting yeah. too unwieldy. Yeah. And I'm interested to see if, the, if they've successfully managed to extend the sweet spot in 5e. Yeah. Maybe you have an opinion on that. I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, Mike's the one that knows because he's yeah, exactly. That's what I'm end. asking because we. Oh, I, you know, I, I I do have an opinion on that. <laughs> I've got yeah. an opinion on everything. <laughs> um, okay. So, so is Dan, I, I I absolutely do have an opinion on that, and and I, I have to be honest, it doesn't feel to me like they've extended the sweet spot at quite up to level twenty. I think right. I think things become a little bit of a mess after fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Around, you... around, so up to tier three. So tier tier one, deadly yeah. squishy and stuff. Yeah. Tiers yeah. two and three, I absolutely love. Uh, once you get up yeah. to four, once you get up to about um, fifteen, you know, I really enjoy those those levels. Uh, I, I think after that, I think the. I mean, this is one of the things that I wrote down actually. Uh, I think the action economy kind of takes over. And Mike's it, written stuff down, Dan. Yeah, I have, I have. <laughs> I think the action economy Got takes that. over, and mm. it becomes quite hard to balance encounters. Uh, I know you've yeah. got things to mend that sort of like legendary actions and lair actions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, mm. but to me, the most fun is around sort of the ten mark. Yeah, which means they have slightly extended the sweet spot, right? Because the classic sweet spot was sort of. Fourth, fifth, where you got your first fireball spell, to about ninth, tenth, when things got a little bit overblown. I'm really talking about kind of first, second, third, well, whatever editions. It doesn't yeah. really matter. If they've managed to kind of crank it up to the point where, put it this way, the last Pathfinder adventure that we ran, I think around 14, 15, you just think, I can't do this anymore. It's just Took unbearable. Took didn't it? Yeah, that's a victim of its own cleverness at the lower levels that you know it's i suppose if you're playing any character from level one or two whatever you're doing right through you've got a fighting chance purely because you you know you live and breathe most of the abilities and the spells and whatever and yeah. you get there and, and you've got you've, you've already probably identified your main abilities and, and spells um and the rest of it is just all sort of add-ons but you know we're, we're about I know this is sort of slightly going tangent, but but we, we're about to do Tomb of Horrors, and we're going in at fourteenth level, and I've never played anything over twelfth level. Now, sorry, fifth edition Tomb of Horrors. Yes, fifth yeah. edition Tomb of Horrors. So to, right. to jump in at fourteenth level, I'm thinking you've got to get your head round all of that stuff. Yeah. Without having any backdrop. I think that's easier in fifth than it was in previous editions because. I'll hold you to that, Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, there's a couple of things that go on that they've done in order to make it a little easier, I think. One of them is specifically item attunement, right? Means yeah. that people don't have this sort of golf bag of magical items that they're constantly yeah. pulling from. But it just means that the power level escalates. Mm. And anybody. Well, that, was, that was the game that we played when we were 11. Yeah, exactly. Like, how many yeah. magical yeah. items can you pile onto one? Yeah, yeah. And I think one anybody guy. who breaks that item attunement <laughs> rule in their campaign 
I think it's a fundamentally <laughs> awful mistake. <laughs> I think one more attunement is not. I think bad. if you added another attunement slot, for example, to mm. people, I think that would just. I mean, you'd just yeah. play with fire. And, unless, of course, you were planning to take it away from everybody at an opportune moment. Yeah, or if it was gained in such a way that the price of gaining that. Um, yeah, was going to be something. So, really this is horrible. an in joke, uh, chaps, that uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. Eusebio, Dan, and I are sharing because of stuff that we've just been doing. D&D fails at high level, right? I think there's a simple reason for that, which is that the prospectus of D&D is that you turn into a super fantasy hero. You've got to therefore build a set of rules that take you from zero to super fantasy hero. But it turns out that being a super fantasy hero is not very interesting. Great. And very complicated. And actually being a kind of medium fantasy hero is really interesting. I mean, all of the famous stories are basically, you know, they're not high level characters except for usually one who happens to be the sort of the gandalf right yeah and all of the other characters the literature right the right, literature right. yes yeah you know or films or whatever you know i mean even uh, even gandalf's like a fifth level cleric isn't he or something i mean that's yeah. the yeah but, but i mean even x-men second level know. monk <laughs> that goes back into the the age-old discussion of high fantasy and low yeah. fantasy and and what you prefer and as much as I'm on the side of low and and I enjoy all of the sort of lower levels and I like characters being frightened of a goblin or something but there's other people that would much be rather but riding a unicorn or you know and, and fighting dragons I mean I think I yeah. think that at high level what hasn't really been considered is the story arc of the characters right yeah. so at the start mm. you have the backstory which is like who is this person during the course of an adventure they get fleshed out and then at the end when you get to high level they should retire in some way and so i think that the kind of additional world building that you've been doing in this age of worms you know with the additional material you put in and stuff that we've been doing in previous adventures kind of lead that have has been a progression in our play for what we're doing now we don't play D the way that we normally play D. we basically no i mean people will find this laughable but this is about as character driven as we have ever been <laughs> but it was something that I tried to do in the Malazan thing. Yeah. And Dan's run a Malazan campaign that, based around the Malazan books, where he's done a load of backstory work, feeding the characters into the story. That's kind of what I like about Paizo, is that they take the structure of D&D and they've expanded it to sort of big story arcs. When we started playing, it was just, you see three doors and a hallway. Or in Mike's version of the Age of Worms, just a hallway. It's, and that has yeah. morphed, I think, largely thanks to Paizo with the adventure parts, has expanded out to more story focus, which is what I like about things like Age of Worms, a story arc. And so the characters and can world fit focus, into yeah. that story arc when they yeah. get to, say, 20th level, they should retire somewhere and appear in the next adventure that you run in the same world or something like that. Forgotten Realms did a bit of that. I mean, I forgot, I think, yeah, you know, I think Paizo and Galarian kind of. I think this gets us back to the subject, which is Greyhawk. So, The Age of Worms was released in 2000 and, Mike, tell me if I got this wrong, 6, 2006? Something like that. Yep, yep. It's the, one of the last things that Paizo did for D&D, because they used to publish two magazines under license from Wizards of the Coast for third edition. Dragon Magazine, the storied whatever, and then Dungeon Magazine, which was just adventures. And in that, they started this new idea of theirs, which was a series of adventures, what they would call an adventure path, that ran over time, serialized in X number of editions. And that has become their bread and butter. Age of Worms is the second one they ever did. There's something called the... Is it called the Shackled City? Mike, you know this stuff so much better than I do. 
I really don't. <laughs> okay, Sorry. well, there was whatever. They released a thing called the, I think it was called the Shackled City. It was a set of 12 adventures in 12 issues over the course of a year, which took you from first level to, I don't know, 17, 18, something like that. And then they did it. Then they did it. Sorry, put my teeth in. And then they did it again. Oh, God, I can't say it. And then they did I can't say the word did it. I can say the word did it. And then they did it. I can't say it when you have to say it, the thing. <laughs> amusing thing. Keep going. And then, they, um, and then they did it again with the Age of Worms. The adventure path has just become that classic stock in trade. Dice and Desire, podcast next door, they're doing Storm King's Thunder. It's just another adventure path, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I agree with that. So if you take... What's that one we're doing with Johnny's? Oh, God. Oh, God, what's it called? Thingy, what's it? What's it called? Princess of the Apocalypse. <laughs> Princess of the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. That feels much more like a traditional dungeon. I don't think that's an adventure path. No, exactly. Wizards, Hasbro... Mm. Have have basically diversified, so they're they're obviously not going down exclusively down that adventure path. I don't think they're more of a mix. But what I'm saying is that the idea, and obviously the first adventure path was probably B1, B whatever it was, and then against the giants and all that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. Here. Back back in the early days, they sort of, Here if you go, remember the the, uh, the like the in queen the of the demon wed pit pits and all those. Yeah, the demon wed pit pits. Yeah, they um they linked all of those stories together. Yeah, and, and you could have a you could have, almost have a story arc of maybe ten different modules, all of which you would buy and run individually or together. Yeah, they worked as sort of stories on their own, and 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 actually, I think Paizo have done that in the all of the books in the Age of Worms. Mm. They give you background such that you can just run that one module. They're very useful those background bits, by the yes. way in an inadvertent way if you read the thing which says if your players have never played any of the other preceding bits this is how to get them into the story it tells you basically what the story is in essence yeah right? and it's absolutely vital with these players right because they can't remember <laughs> yeah anything <laughs> stuff from 10 minutes ago in the previous session anyway greyhawk sorry my point being greyhawk is where the age of worms was set originally uh-huh. and greyhawk was the first again mike lucas might know this was the first setting as it were that got published right i mean it's so old greyhawk it belonged yeah. to one of the founding i don't think it was it gygax or was it arneson like tensor and leomund and bigby and all of those kind of characters that then gave their names to the spells in the first rule books were characters in this yeah. game that mm. they played and Greyhawk is the setting and Paizo were allowed to publish adventures set in this canon setting that I don't know anything about Greyhawk <laughs> so I had to move it and put it somewhere else which takes us to the age well, of Worms, ran, what, what we've changed you did I know you did I really enjoyed the Greyhawk stuff you ran and but I think at the time quite... Joss was running Forgotten Realms yeah and I always thought they were quite similar <laughs> <laughs> well to be honest Galarian is similar yeah. right I mean it's yeah. like True. You've always got a sort of capital city, which is sort of a center of empire. Yes. And then you always start in a smaller town. And then how did the dwarves come <laughs> yeah. up from below the earth? And then how the elves came out of the trees and all that kind of, <laughs> you know, anyway. Whatever decision you made, you made the right one. Because sometimes when you when you take a, a massive backdrop of history and everything else in a, a setting, as a DM, sometimes you can just get lost and go down a tunnel, yeah. you know, and, and buy yeah. a extracting it and putting it in a much more manageable way i just think for for you guys it shows massively on the podcast that might whether this is true or not but you've you've got it under control and you you, you pluck (laughs) out 
bits apart from the calendar occasionally. Uh, which which uh... <laughs> fuck, fuck off! That is, I'm not. What's happened here is that we've cheated, right? In the old days, I say in the old days, right? I ran an adventure and I didn't have a setting for it, so I sort of cobbled something together as we went. And we used to joke that it was called Sketchy World because most of the time there was no answer, and I would just sort of come up with whatever we needed at that point. Well, that is really where we've set the Age of Worms, in the sense that the stuff that came out of playing that campaign for a while and me making notes as we went is where we've got it set. But for billowing, it's I think it's what's great is that because it's this guy's for billowing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. If it was set in one of the traditional settings, the problem is you also get listeners or readers, sorry. Oh yeah. Would be I think this. you'll. I think you'll find. <laughs> would be, yeah. Some of them might be sort of picking up on bits and saying, "Well, that's yeah. not yes. correct." We're we're this yeah. way. Everybody's in the same boat. We've all we all go along. And if you say fart is a is a month, then we we believe it is a month. That, that's what it is. So. <laughs> and the other thing is that if you acknowledge that it's obvious that this is being slightly pulled together as we go, then you're not trying to kind of say we've got this grand creation that we're playing our thing through. It's almost sort of saying, don't look too far over the horizon, right? Mm. Don't open that door in the back there. There's nothing behind it. The idea that it's all a little bit kind of cobbled together is kind of part of the joke that we sort of amuse ourselves with. Anyway, so changes to the Age of Worms. Mike, you've ran it as canon in Greyhawk. Yes, I ran it in Greyhawk, um, prim- primarily just because I didn't, I didn't want to do the work to move anywhere else. And I've always quite liked... Greyhawk, and then I found out that um, there is a character that you're about to meet, yeah, who is a, a sort of a, a remodel of Tensor from the yes. original Greyhawk world, and I'm like, all oh, right, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely leaving it in Greyhawk. So yeah, I, I ran that's it. not a spoiler. I think we've we've referred to it. We've yes. in our version, he's renamed to Marcus Doombringer. Yeah, and the reason he's renamed to Marcus Doombringer is because Johnny's favourite ever character was a very high-level wizard called Marcus Doombringer that he goes on and on and on about to the point <laughs> the where... The joke was that he would appear on a billowing hilltop. That's why we're called the billowing hilltop. He's so, the, so we've renamed this character Marcus Doombringer. We've not met him yet in the story, unless it takes me forever to edit this, in which case um, we hope you enjoyed meeting him in the story. And uh, he's got a very strange accent that we used. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> and basically, it's a stick to beat Johnny Worst with because if Johnny doesn't have. behave, we will make Marcus Doombringer increasingly ridiculous. That's basically <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> and, and I right. think that works. <laughs> it has, in fact, worked. Yeah. I kept it as Greyhawk and I, I ran it as Diamond Lake was, you know, a, yeah. a, few, a few hours out of the free city of Greyhawk. Yeah. And then I had Mage Point as where it was. So what we changed was. Greyhawk became even star, and all I've done is change the pantheon. Really, new gods, new days of the week. I mean, just the stuff that you really needed. Yeah, it's just but too the, much. The, 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 I think we've gone a bit further than we ever had before, or you've gone a bit further with the character backstories and yes, how they have material impact on the game. And I, I, I like that. You know, yeah, they, but they to, but to rounded. but to reveal the secrets a little bit, it's not wasn't all worked out before we started. In the same no, way that sure. the world wasn't all worked out before we started, we've sort of, as we've gone, talked, gone backwards and forwards between ourselves about what might be going on with these characters as we've come across elements of the story that we think there is a bit of something in, a bit of potential in. I don't think you need to go too far from 
the 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 sort of the pantheon and the and yeah. the and the environment really. I think I think it holds your as a story it holds your hand. So you you go to yeah. you go to Diamond Lake, you go to Major Point, you go to the Free City. You can you can reskin those and call them what you want really. Well, we have. It's not called Major Point for starters. <laughs> well, yeah. exactly. <laughs> We've not filled in any more yeah. than we needed to. I mean, you need three gods for the Ebon Triad, for example, Mike. Right. Mm. So you took Erith. Is it Erithnal, um Vec- Vecna? I yep. I kept I kept them as they were, and I'm, I'm glad I Hextor, did. Hextor, Erithnal, and Vecna. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And with Vecna being so f- sort of yes, wrapped up in Stranger opposite. Things, I think yeah. I'm quite glad I chose that one. So yeah. we've got Ban Shivu. The Grey Woodsman and Asmodee. Yep. So yeah, those were just a, there, though, is it? Well, you've not been paying attention, obviously, Bonds. But yeah, we'll but get to that. Vecna's got an agent now. You, you can't get to yeah. him. So. <laughs> what was the name of the god of things in little things in cupboards? Windsim, filler of cupboards. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's not get into a whole thing with the bloody the pantheon because I'll just you know I mean I obviously it's a, a it fully it's a fully realised yeah so <laughs> he gets to sleep at night is is reciting his gods there's Tonge obviously Uart the Moulder of Worlds Deborah Cadabra the Lady Luck Misfortune which is what Sessions is a cleric of I mean it does play in and you can have fun with this stuff Standing Wave Banjetti Mistress of Chance Meetings Tiny Arthur Godlet of Wagons I think we've talked <laughs> enough <laughs> You're reading this out, obviously. <laughs> no, it's all it's all up here. Uh, it's all part of your in your hyperlinked word document. Which one of the six folders have you got out now, Mike? Mm. Anyway, <laughs> maybe we should work our way through the story books, Mike, and talk yep. about them. Talk about what we liked and what we didn't like, and what we changed. God forbid, um, in chronological get- order. And get chip-ins from Dr. Eusebio, Spider-Lucas, and Bonds, and Steve. Uh, Steve's going to get lost after a couple, because Steve <laughs> has not listened to all the episodes. Naughty Steve. I, I've dipped in and out. I'm sorry. Anyway, so, book one. Book one, The Whispering Cairn. Mike, you ran it as is? So, yeah, I, I ran it literally verbatim. And I have to be honest, I absolutely bloody love whispering can i think it's, it's fantastic one, i think it's one of the absolute classics i'm a big fan of the tales of the yawning portal yeah hmm. uh, and i think i think whispering can is every bit as good as any of the mm-hmm. the, the classic D modules of older year i days of yore yeah yes uh, and i would happily run it for any any group i think you could well don't don't run it for these two well obviously because... yeah yeah thank you well, Actually, no. Do you know what? They yeah. probably fuck it they, up. They would. Well, they wouldn't it. remember it. No. But, yeah. yeah I, what I, colour I, was that lantern again? Yeah. <laughs> well, I forget nothing. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It was. It was really clever. It had lots of. It had puzzles. It had all the the lanterns that you had to sort out. Uh, it had the 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 trap with the with the wind at the top of the thing you had to climb. Then it had the ghost, Alistair Land, mm. plus all the intrigue back at the city uh well back at the town yeah uh, yeah absolutely loved it i thought it was a i thought it was a great and module. did they do the other bit that my lot didn't do and still haven't done yes which what is that well there's the lair of the architect and there's the, the this is all good this is by the way from this point onwards um dear readers this is going to be spoiler tastic oh, there's right. the lair of the architect and then there's the lair of the whatever right oh and they, yours didn't go down there did no they, they didn't no <laughs> they did. well, no <laughs> 
actually, I can. I Still can, I, sitting there. I can tell you this as well because one of the questions on Graham's list was, "What's the best bit that the characters messed up on?" Graham has given us a list to look at, dear readers. And for me, it was in it was in the original Whispering Cairn because that was where Akosiel's tomb was. And the idea, I think, was that you went and got there and you got the first part of the rod. My lot got first to it. First part of the rod. Well, didn't you get a? Nah, I can't you just get some you bits. You just get some you stuff get some, from Zosiel's yeah. tomb. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they 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 looked at it. I've seriously fucked up there. I was thinking no, no, no. <laughs> I missed. Did I scroll <laughs> no, I past a really important? I can't remember. Did I scroll past a really important part of the PDF? Take yeah. out folder five, Mike. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> so so my guys, they they looked at it and went, "Oh, we're not going to mess around with the tomb unless we absolutely have to." So all those goodies are still there, waiting <gasps> for something. Yeah, exactly. Spoiler. <laughs> so <laughs> we've warned our readers, Lucas. No, no, I mean for us. You, 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 did, you, you did this, Lucas. Oh, you did yes. This. You did, oh, we did do it. Oh, okay. You did do this. The bit uh, that you did do was down the other elevator. You oh, never went right. down the elevator yeah, yeah. that yeah. either, what were they called? JJ yes. and Digger, the two yeah, yeah. bandits who were with Madam Wodge. Madam Wodge of the Lodge. I kind of asked you about that. And you kind of put me off it. I didn't put you off it. I just you sort of did. Not, not actually, but you sort of yeah. went, eh, well, you know... I, yeah, I asked, well, I mean, yeah. what do you want me to say? I wasn't going to go, well, I mean, absolutely <laughs> must. Yeah, those that would have been there. just as bad. The thing that but had to be where changed. we are. So on the way out, Mike, that's where we go. No, no, you've already... The <laughs> thing that had to be changed for for Again, us because now, was that I had to move... I moved the lantern, right? So, Mike, you played mm. the lantern. The lantern in the original is... No, I, I nicked your yeah. idea, actually. Oh, did you? I, yeah, I took, I took the lantern and put it in the... Oh, what was his name? The policeman's office. Cubbins. Yeah. Cubbins. Yeah. yeah. Fucking hell. The, the reason for that was basically to get them out. Nasty too. piece of work. Yeah. I retained the right to remain violent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get them out of the tomb because it was all getting a bit, I don't know, dungeon crawly. And I thought if I put the lantern in town and I give them a great big signpost in the form of, and I'm watching large. That they have to go to town to find it. It will break I've up. I've always the... found that that voice really annoying. Have you? <laughs> no, is, yeah. it's Johnny's. Fantastic. It's one of my favourites. <laughs> it's are. Johnny's. It's there. Uh, I can claim no credit or whatever or blame. Yeah, where it's Johnny. Johnny has a character called. Basically, we name all, <laughs> name all the NPCs <laughs> in the whole thing after Johnny's characters, right? Brilliant. I'm not joking. We. I think we've basically on about our fourth or fifth, right? And Madam Wodge of the Lodge was a character that uh, Johnny ran. Uh, who Baron shiny head? There's Baron shiny 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 head, the leader of the uh, the lizard folk shiny, and all of that. Rabadabadas, who you've just just met, Marcus Doom. I mean, the list goes on and on. Anyway, yeah. um, oh, and Thingy, um, is it Mernst Dankbarrel, the spherical floating yeah. wizard? <laughs> <laughs> that was the main thing I changed, and it's interesting that you changed it too. I mean, obviously you'd listened to the show, so yeah. Whatever. So I, the reason I changed it was I liked. I liked the way you had them having to break into um, the, the police station or the, the yeah. guard station or whatever it was. Um, yeah. I liked that, and I thought it worked really well. So I thought oh, I was gonna, I was gonna have that. And you know, the, the lantern being just stuck in a in the corner. Point, yeah, it was like that doesn't really make sense. How much did you use Balabar Smink, Mike, in your way so, of running it? Not a huge amount. Um, oh, same here. So he was he was always there as a as a vague threat. 
Yeah. He came into it a little bit more in the second book, The Three Faces of Evil, after after yeah. they'd done the... So I, I, I think I curtailed the amount of dungeon crawling that they needed to do in that one as well. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah. By, by having Balabar sort of... I think he attempted to become a goodie at that point. Oh, uh, but only as a, only as a let me see if I can get out of this, and then resorted to form, and then got arrested and banged to right. rights, kind of thing. It's odd that he is meant to be the main antagonist in the first book and the second book. He's the character that's like ooh the pantomime villain that you get shown yeah, as you first you read through do, the adventure. You need to do the show of force early on. You need to see him being. We never really saw him. So no, I know, and but we started because we started at the at the, the gateway to the can. We started at the entrance. Mm-hmm. It all started just in, start. the inn, in the in the inn, sort of, didn't we? But yeah, we you should have. Well, seen that him. was done, and that was done with a bit of backstory that was actually done after yeah. we started. And I think that's one of the problems with pre-written modules is mm-hmm. so if that was your module that you'd ca- you'd thought up, mm-hmm. and you're you're absolutely right. You, you know, he needs a he needs a big show of force early doors yep. to yep. to sort of right. just yep. make himself known but it doesn't really come across in the book yeah and sort of by the time you realize in book two he's he is a show of force you've already run book one and don't forget these books would have come out each month yeah yeah in the very beginning it felt to me that whispering Ken was written and sort of almost pasted on there's definitely a sense here that you've got freelancers taking their best adventure ideas and then you've got a, an over-editor taking these individual sections and stitching them together into a narrative, right? Is, is, yeah. I'm not so the, sure. Isn't that what they did with Lost, um, the TV series? That At the end, they just literally had all the writers just writing stuff and then throwing them in a bowl, excuse the, excuse the term, <laughs> and then pulling them out and saying, right, make, make some sense of that. And, and that's how they did it, apparently. Oh, well, that's interesting. Oh, but I'm, I'm not so sure. I think the, the way that Paizo work is they come up with a story arc and they would have gone, okay, the first book has to be a standalone kind of dungeon. It has to be something that, you know, we'll sow some seeds that we can then pick up on later. And then they, they find a freelancer to write it. So they say, this part has to be like this. And then they give it to the next writer and they say, this part needs to be like this. And they that dish out the stories. And so so there's a fair amount true. of freedom for each writer of each book because they, they're given the start point and the end point and then they have to just yeah. fill in the gaps. Is what you do yeah. with a TV soap or something, you know, where they have different writers. Yes, yeah. so th- they may be given a framework to drop their adventures into, but yeah. I don't know, anyway. I mean, The Whispering yeah. Can does seem a very standalone thing and all of the Winduke stuff, you've got to be careful about spoilers here. It's It's not, how do we put this, Mike? Well, I think the Windjukes... It's not really there. It's not really relevant. They're, well, they're, it's not that it's not really relevant. Involved. They're really involved in Whispering Can. It's And then they sort of disappear, don't they? Until book six. Six. Yeah. Gathering the Winds, where... And, where then, you're not, and then you're not allowed to talk about them anymore, Mike, because we're and, stuck. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. I think that they are an interesting side story. They add... What they've done for me, by the way, they're a complete gift, because they've added a history... And a mythology to a setting that didn't exist. Yeah, that's helped me out enormously because I didn't have any of this stuff. And how, but, how much did the players 
pick up on it though, Mike? Did did they later on did they instantly recognise a lot of stuff, or did it just? Uh... You really haven't no. listened to all that many episodes. No, no, have well, you? I, I, missed, <laughs> I missed the central section of it, but they but the... have no idea. They we... not um not a Scooby. So here's no. the giveaway. We have a slack a slack channel, which is the plot. <laughs> which yeah, it's is called worm. It's called worm the, plot. Worm plot. <laughs> which People is basically... paste stuff in it, and you know what? Nobody's posted anything in it for about three months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then every now and again, Mike goes, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" and gives us sort of like the story so far. I see. I see. So that... I, see. I was listening to hundred and whatever it was, and you did a commune spell. And Johnny's question for the gods was, will this be useful in our quest to defeat whatever they're called? That was the question. And you're like, how much time and energy has been sunk into this by me, by Paizo, right? And you just, will this be useful in our quest to defeat whatever they're called? I've just been listening to episode 100B, and this bit where it's like, None of us know why we're there. <laughs> the whole conversation. That is classic. A whole conversation about why we're there. And is it, is it something? No, isn't it the rod? We're here to get the rod, Johnny thinks. Pinching of the bridge of the nose. I think that's yeah. the. Uh... Yes. Yes. Yeah. That stuff is not confected, Steve. That stuff is real. I find it extraordinary. So the Winduke thing is interesting. It's backstory and it gives you the opportunity to explore a different theme, I think. And it gives you gear, basically. That's what I think it is. Mm. Yeah, it, it does. But the books, but the books in between, when they're off to, let's talk yeah, about book okay, two. Yeah. Then book two, didn't you smenk? Right, I changed the gods, and then did you keep? Did you get rid of the maze, Mike? So yes, I well, maze. I yeah. curtailed the maze significantly because it's uh, yeah. it was it was huge. So I th- I think I'm just looking at the map again quickly on that one. What I did was I got rid of all of the maze, the labyrinth yeah. of labyrinth of Vecna. I got yeah. rid of all of Did that. Did we do that? Yes. You know the central hall in the dark cathedral? There was the horrible black pool, and then you got the three doorways. One led to the thingy of Banshivu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With um, Piers Morgan, the giant boar, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The other one led to the Grey Woodsman, which we'll come back to in a bit, or the yeah. lair of the Grey Woodsman. And then the, the other one went north twinkles. to the Temple of Asmodee. And in between that door and the actual Temple of Asmodee, there was just this massive maze of right. like loads of encounters that just, ah, oh, you just looked at it and thought, what is the point of this? Right? And it was Mike? all secret doors. Oh, all right. secret doors. And Kenku. Yeah. So yeah. I, I chopped all of that out. So I had, yeah. I had the entranceway going into one of the side, side yeah. doors and then just doing the bit that was where the faceless one was wasn't yeah. it so yeah, I, right. yeah. yeah yeah so i did i the did mirrors. that and then the other one the citadel of hextor which is for us was banshivu yep yep i effectively emptied vecna's labyrinth of yeah. people and then i had them all in almost like a big standoff in hextor and i let them all fight it out and my players picking people off at the side mm. because I, ju- I just felt that they could very quickly get overrun right because you know there's a whole cult down there so i had i had the cult run for it basically yes i think so yeah so i i had um, take the I lift. Had a little bit of a standoff a bit like the english and did you edit the, the cavany bit the, the the erythnal bit did you edit that down that was where johnny died wasn't it 
Yes. Spoiler yes. alert, Grimbold, yeah, was eaten his face yeah. was eaten by a roper. Yeah. Yes, that was So it. that bit I massively edited that down. Oh, no, because it no, just... I kept that because I quite liked that. I like the fact that you had to do some dropping down and it wasn't just a, a sort of a straightforward linear kind of yeah. thing. You had to drop down, climb across, and then I can't remember the monster that Oh Granite Kerr. Well there's Granite Kerr. Yeah. I thought he was a good baddie. With the eyes stitched on, the eyeballs yeah. stitched yeah, onto his was, face. Yeah, he, yeah, was, yeah. he was really good. I really liked him. So I ran him. I ran that, that encounter almost completely as it was. And then what happened with the thing in the pool? We had it so that it was sort of... They heard it being, as it were, summoned into being when they finished exploring. And then they saw its effect as it had rampaged through Diamond Lake. Did you have that? Yes, I did. I did exactly the same there as well, yeah. And it's there that they met Uncle Buggy, because Uncle Buggy had been involved in the fight with Hesty Testapod. Did you keep Alistan, or did you use... You didn't You didn't rename it to Hesty Testapod, I did didn't. No. I used Hesty Testapod as a name, because I liked it, and it made me laugh, and I thought, tip a little nod to that. So I had a, right. I had a druid in the woods that helped do certain things. So when they... When they found the owl bear cub, uh, they took it to yeah. Hesty Test yeah. Pod. The, the bear owl. The, the bear owl. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And then I had, uh, I had. They didn't set it on fire. No. Like a little little <laughs> torch. No. Like a little flaming. <laughs> okay, good. They didn't. They didn't render the fat down yeah. into the floor. <laughs> no. no. They, okay, that's what they. That was Johnny. That was entirely. No, that was Johnny. Oh, Johnny. And I, I actually. Did had he have a song? The, I had a, at the very end one of my rangers in the party. That was his sort of yeah. end game. Was that he went and met back up with Hesty the Druid and became a bear owl trader. Oh, the only thing I added into the second one was the orrery, which you found in the um, caverns of the Grey Woodsman. I don't think I really added anything else in. I felt that was possibly the big misstep. I think the the emphasis, rather than as a, a big dungeon crawl, should have been on Malabar Smenk and closing things mean, off my, in the town. My misstep or, or no, the, the adventures? No, their, their misstep. Well, it's my misstep then. Because actually, the way that it is meant to work, that book, is that a bit like book five, you're dipping in and out of a dungeon crawl while you try and bring right. down Balabas. Is that right, Mike? Have I got that right? Sort of. You're trying to find evidence. That would make it very big, though. But I would, yes, I would have focused more on the Balabas wing bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then you've got the dungeon and it's like, you've got to have the bloody world dungeon, isn't yeah. you? But yes, absolutely. I mean, all the time I'm thinking, which bits did I... Ch you don't know whether or not it would have been yeah. better or not to leave it in. Book yeah. three... We started with a whole bit that is not in the adventure as written, which was the Garm Farm, the Bugbear Raid, the Diamonds, the Chase Through the Woods, all of that stuff. That's not in the book. Mm -hmm. I quite enjoyed that. I don't that. know how you did it, Mike. I didn't do any of that. Basically, the problem was they had a journey of two days to get to Blackwall Keep. We needed an overnight thing, something to happen, just for something to break up the journey. That's all it was really meant to be. And then tweak it and add some elements that might play out later that's all it was yeah that's all it and was. I, I i didn't and need those because obviously i don't have the, no. the, the podcast so i ran it simply as a you have to camp out some somewhere and i just i think I, I rolled for a random encounter didn't get one so just had them then arrive at blackwall keep the next day or the next evening in fact thinking about it i think i had some small scale ghast or ghoul kind of encounter in 
as they were getting there. Yeah. The, I think yeah. I can't remember if that was a, a random thing or or if it was in the in the book. I mean, I feel obviously it's obvious in hindsight. I didn't think they would go after the money, or rather, it didn't occur <laughs> to me that they might go after the money. It's like you've right. never met us. I know, I know. I feel so stupid. <laughs> they were just they were just like bloodhounds, right? They were like that <laughs> Disney bloodhound that just sniffs along the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and they wouldn't let it go. And it's like, shit, I've got to improvise this whole thing now. So that whole section with the bugbear and the chase through the forest and at night going down the river and looking for tracks. I mean, that was just, I, mean, I had to sort of, I don't know, I just sort of had to sort of pull it out of my head somewhere. Well, and then I got... bear in my underpants, which I suppose... Uh, it did. Wasn't, wasn't and then I, that the one with Johnny when he was at a toad or something hopping in front of... That was later that was on. Later, was it like, yeah. Same book. But that whole bit, I got a week then to go away and think, right, what's going to happen when they find this bugbear, right? What's going on? And it was then that I thought, well, the bugbear has been wormed. And then that was where I then started stitching the gems back into the story of the Outsplinters. But none of that stuff is planned. Best thing about D&D. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what it did as well is it inserted, as if it needed, it inserted mistrust between the uh, characters. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly did quite liked that book actually looking back at it now i quite liked because that was the first one that in that brought ilfane into it the uh, yes it's the first one where we you heard that there was a there was a dragon and um you know they were yeah i remember them being quite nervous as they went into the egg chamber the thought of there yeah. potentially being a black dragon the other side they were yeah they were definitely uh nervous at that point so i quite liked that book my recollection of it was that it was quite chaotic. They, were, they split themselves up. Yes. And they were running around this lizard folk lair. And they don't think that we really ever had a moment where they thought there was going to be a dragon around the corner. It was more about the threat. I, I like that. I like that book, actually. When I read it, I thought, they're not going to like this, and I'm not going to like this. And that just shows how you can just get these things completely wrong. Yeah. Well, I think you're uh, changing the, the nature of the lizard folk. <laughs> it's uh... Yeah. Well, it's, quite quite a nice it's, a, it's a gag. It's quite. I yeah. mean, it's it's a possibly it decent well. gag, but it, yeah, but it doesn't change the structure of the adventure. No, I know. And then we move on from there to book four, and that I think for us was the big departure. So this is the book called The Hall of Harsh Reflections, book mm. four, written by Jason Bullman, who is the chief designer of Paizo, chief designer of Pathfinder, and it relies upon a particular. Uh, well, Mike, tell us how it works. What's it? What? How is it meant to work? This was the shape changer one, wasn't it? So yeah, the doppelganger. The doppelganger. One, yeah. So yes, I needed to bring in a new character at this point. Right. My son joined us, um, which is great. It's brilliant to you know to to have your kids sort of follow up and then start playing D and D with you and your mates, kind of thing. So I needed to bring him in, but then I was also aware that I needed to bring in a doppelganger so and it couldn't obviously be him because that was just too obvious and and stuff but it was quite a nice city dungeon yeah wasn't it and he, the sodden hold the doppelganger hideout and all of that was fantastic yes i never have so many characters failed so many perception <laughs> checks investigation checks <laughs> extraordinary yes and in fact i can remember that was the one where you had um the artificial pretend hesty at the end wasn't it yes that was sort of like just a cap it all at the end that adventure basically works or doesn't work on 
one specific encounter, which is that it's all set up so that you're investigating this bandit lair in the city and you meet yourselves. And the only way that that works is if the doppelgangers have managed to substitute one of the characters. Did you run that adventure as written in terms of the first bit with the bit with the inn and all of that stuff? So the way I ran it, and, I, and I'll be honest, I can't remember whether it it was from you or from the book itself. So I ran it that they went to an inn, and that's where they met the, the new player. And then there was a sort of big street parade and lots of stuff happening yeah. outside. Yeah. And then I had uh, a bit of an ambush scene. Yeah. And one of the players got sort of tumbled to the floor. And, and, and yeah. at that point, I sent him a quick text message and said, that thing that we've talked about now, that's happening now. You did it exactly the same as me. Yeah. 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 We probably had a we conversation. Possibly talk, <laughs> I, we possibly talked. I think we have. Yeah, we did so possibly does it, talk about it. Does it specify that only one of the characters gets replaced? No, but it does it very differently. In The Adventurer's Written, there is a sequence at the beginning where you realize that there is a gang of doppelgangers at work trying to get you into trouble doesn't resolve itself and then the actual switcheroo where you substitute a doppelganger for a character is done in this incredibly complex i think like riven with opportunities for it to fall over encounter where you're sort of arrested for a crime you didn't commit because a doppelganger committed it mm. and taken off to prison have i got this right mike yes. can you remember yeah, reading yeah. this yeah and then it depends on all of the right all tab a goes into slot b every piece of the kind of machinery works exactly as it should do and then you end up with one character swapped. The yeah. big problem was that if that doesn't work, A, you can't swap the character. B, by the time you do swap the character, you've told the characters that there are doppelgangers. Mm. If you do that, I know you lot. If I told you that there was a doppelganger gang, easy for me to say, after you, from that point onwards, you wouldn't trust each other, yeah. right? You wouldn't. Yeah. So what you had to do was have it so that the swap was done with you having no idea about any doppelgangers. Yeah. What I decided to do was engineer the swap during the ambush, which is not where it's meant to happen. And I agreed with Johnny, with Uncle Buggy, that he would be swapped at that point. I didn't give him the details. And I did exactly what Mike did, which is at a certain point, I messaged Johnny and said, right, that's it. It's done. And then we'd agreed that he would then start using the phrase, is it dirty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that that was Johnny. Yeah. I thought is that was Johnny dirty? just coming up with more flavor for his character. Yeah. That was the passcode to get through the traps and the rooms in the sodden hold. Mm. When you open the door with the planks leading across the water and you're attacked by the invisible stalkers, the first thing that Buggy does is say, is it dirty, in the doorway, and then he's not attacked as he goes through. Right. Because that adventure effectively marches you up a hill, takes you to the peak, goes, here you go, and then it marches you down again. Mm. But if you don't get to the top of the hill, it doesn't work. So both Mike and I... I do I remember think we were talking discussing at that it. point because looking looking through it, the real PC is going to be imprisoned for several days, and you know it just. Yeah. I seem to remember thinking that doesn't sound fun. How did how did you do it? And I think we had a chat. I just said I'd cut it all out. I mean, as always, the answer is I just got rid of the whole thing. I mean, the other thing is that they just knew. I just knew that if there was an encounter with doppelgangers, from that point onwards, they wouldn't trust anybody. They wouldn't trust. Yeah. Other than that. That adventure is pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah, I, I, and we we had a we had a sort of a, a moment that happened in there because I think one of our players was a the one that got switched was a cleric who did guidance quite a lot, and yeah, right. they wondered what was going on because quite 
frequently he wouldn't he wouldn't do guidance. They they'd be trying to do <laughs> yeah. something, and he'd and <laughs> I play with a father and a son, and um, the the level of bickering um, escalated quite uh, quite dramatically. <laughs> Be like, well, why aren't you going to give me guidance? Oh, you don't need it. It's fine. <laughs> so that was that was quite funny. And then, obviously, after we resolved it and he'd gone back to his regular character, um, every time they uh, every time they go into an encounter now, uh, if there's any fighting to be done, it's right quickly cast guidance just to prove you're not a doppelganger. Like, oh, here we go. And it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> as if you needed to sow any more mistrust, right? But. It's just a great way of making people not... Tr- I mean, we still use, if it is the real Parker, yeah. we still use that phrase. <laughs> it sounds like the two of you quite like the way it was engineered. Because you come up with the idea and then you've got to come up with the way that it actually happens. I didn't like the way that it was done in the book because it was just very complicated to run. But I right. did like the fact that what you do is surprise people. And at that point, I mean, that is... A, I don't know, how did you get on with running that actual encounter? Like, you know, the one when they encounter themselves, what did you do? So the way I did it, I had them stumble into a room and the uh, the original character that had been doppelganged. I'm not sure if you can verba do- doppelganger. Um, that sounds rude. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah. he was he was he was Double there teamed. sort of yeah. bound and tied up. And I, right. I then had uh, a mirror character for each of the others, so it was four on four. And then I just, I basically had it such that as the combat went, it started to get a little bit complicated. And you know who who was who. I'm still not sure. So the two of you did, yeah. did, during that combat did were they fighting each other? Yeah, they. Or did they um, fight across each other? So the different characters would fight different characters. My lot all pick to fight with themselves effectively so individual characters on individual characters can you remember how we did it color code yes and we used the cuthbert thing so so coincidentally paul and i um, had a discussion and he decided that he wanted to change characters so we had an incident earlier on before the doppelganger encounter where cuthbert left them all behind and then we were going to wait to substitute his new character in at the right moment. So we could use the doppelgangers knew this, had been watching them, and therefore could put Cuthbert in the room as a doppelganger. Ah, yep. That gave them the impression that the reason that they'd lost Cuthbert was because he, I don't know, they weren't quite sure. You know, he disappeared, he left a note, but then, then he's in front of them. That's where we introduced the broom cupboard. We would jump into the broom cupboard and have a quick chat about what was going on. And then people would come out of the broom cupboard and run that character based upon the amount of information that we exchanged. It sort of held together, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. I'm still not quite sure how that worked out. <laughs> well, All I know is the, that... The, the, I, I think I figured out quite early on that Cuthbert yeah, you, wasn't yeah, real you did. because you there was did. no counterpoint for, for Cuthbert. That was a bit of a tell, but I think it, it was, worked I well. It, I mean, I think yeah, it worked well. I think it, I think it, it was well. I think it, I think you all thought that Johnny was up to no good quite early on, but you weren't sure about Parker and you weren't sure about Sessions if I recall correctly. Yes. Because you were asking each other questions that only each other would know the answer to, but what you didn't know was that doppelgangers can read can minds. Read, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were we were rolling initiative to see which character answered the question first, and then you were having to wonder whether or not... Oh, it's, it's a really brilliant... But then I think, like thing. you so, said, we just sort of solved that problem ultimately in that I just basically made my Parker attack the other Parker, and that sort of like, you know... That's the way to do it. That's the way to do it. But as a DM, Mike, you must eat those sort of things. Although you can have best laid plans, I suppose you really just have to see what the players do, come up with, and, and 
mm. and change your actions accordingly. That's all you can do, isn't it? Yeah, the edit could also fix a lot. I think the actual recording, the actual session where we played the combat out was a bit chaotic, but the edit, it benefited from the fact that we were able to get rid of a lot of the kind of confused background chatter uh, and turn it into a bit more of a straightforward combat encounter that where nobody, especially the readers, had any idea what was going on. I, I think that's the difference, isn't it? When, you, when you're doing it for a podcast, something like that, I think mine probably got quite complicated and... You know, it got a little bit silly, and but but it, it kind of didn't matter. We just muddled through, and at the end of the combat, the yeah. whereas real ours was not what... at all complicated or silly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, you, so but sure you, that. you have to tell a story as well with yours. I think it worked pretty well, and then from then on, that adventure is pretty straight. Did you just then run it as was, Mike? Yes, from that point onwards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Went off and found Zerksog, and. I love Zerk Yeah, Zerk Sogs, yeah. Your fear is a pleasing garnish. <laughs> <laughs> the, thing, the thing about Zerk Sog is still not sure how he ties in with the, the whole story. Well, he doesn't really. I mean, right. he's basically, it's a classic Paizo, create a bad guy and leave a note in a box in his office mm. that tells you why he was there. Zerk Sog is hired by Rachnian to kill you. Right. It's as simple as that. And all that that really means is that A, you've got somebody to go after, and B, when you've finished going after them, you find out who was behind it all. And that then, at that point, you've met Eligos? You yes, have met, met Eligos. Yes, we met her on the way. Eligos is a bloke in the written adventure. And there's another character called Celeste. Is that right? Yeah, right? it is. And I, I, I didn't bother with Celeste. I thought she just. No, um, nor me. I yeah. swapped her in as. Garth South Portal. Garth South Portal. I, yeah. I swapped her in as the sister, <laughs> I think. La Hacker. Yeah. So I had I had right. Celeste as the sister instead. Uh-huh. I got rid of the Celeste character who doesn't do anything. I now realise that actually they do do something, but they just turn up later. <laughs> yes. I had yeah, to get rid of I her then as well. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, well, I'm doing the same. Yeah, exactly. The only other thing that we did was we put Hesty te- the pretend Hesty Testapod in that. Um, that. That was a really good combat. That was a really good combat. Mm-hmm. That, that was a great we were combat. Down to the wire on that one. Yeah. You were re- in real, real trouble because yeah. you sort of fell for it completely, much more yeah. completely than I ever would have imagined because of the doppelganger thing. Mm. And I think we were all so sort of relieved to have finished the doppelganger yes. con- combat that we just sort of literally like. But that was the whole discussion because we didn't rest and we just you didn't basically rest, no. carried straight on, walked straight into it. You know, we we're all sort of like on cloud nine, and then that was it. Wham! Fireball. Yeah. Mm. completely wasted yeah, yeah lightning won't strike <laughs> yes. twice yeah you're expecting to do the the high-fiving aren't you and then you get fireballed <laughs> yeah we don't we that don't was... get suckered like that very often but we did there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think any or all of you said i think this is the real hesty testapod everything is fine now i think you were a bit cautious but you just weren't so cautious as to not set yourselves up for a mm. giant fire yes. and then just laid yes. waste to everything yep. and then as soon as that had happened everything was just yeah you had the mind flare coming from the other direction oh that's rare so when you started running you opened the door and there's a mind flare waiting for you in the room with the with the pool yeah <laughs> and uncle buggy jumped off the thi- i mean all of that that was a great that yeah. was a great combat Zerksog leads you to Rachnian and Eligos leads you to Rachnian and that takes us to book five my favorite book of the adventure by a mile this is where i started um, my, i restarted right well it's a very good idea that 
It's just a brilliant idea, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. Is it's just a, a fantastic piece of adventure writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Mike, did you tweak it? Did you fix it? What did you do? So you and I were talking at this point, and I I took your advice and I trimmed it down from the. I think there was like seven or eight different events, wasn't there? All of which were kind of the same. It was all sort of gladiatorial fighting. I cut it down to sixteen. I think it was so like a. Yeah, which is still too many. I cut it yeah. down to sixteen and regretted it ever since. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I I, I think it I think it was all right. My my character my players are quite fast. So right. yeah, they they okay. compared with us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> fast, efficient. Yeah. So yeah, we 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 weren't on this book for very long. Weren't you? No, not not a huge amount of time. I did the same as uh, same as you and. As recommended, you know, so in between each battle, they were down in the Undercity looking for a variety of clues and things. My recollection is that that book took us forever. It did it take us a while. while. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It took us forever. And I'm glad I think because it, took it, us was, like... it was so good. Yeah, it was very good. I think also the, the your descriptions, giving you a pat on the back, the descriptions of the different team, oh. teams. Yeah, yeah, take it while mm. you can. Take it while you can. Yeah meant that the readers got to identify very easily with each one because of the characters that you portrayed and the voices and stuff. So every time, it, it wasn't like, who were they again? You you instantly recognised them. Yeah, it took us 25 episodes. 25? Wow. 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 <laughs> Didn't feel like it. Just quickly, on the old pat on the back thing, the readers came up with the teams, about at least half of them. Oh, the Harrowing Horde, the Halflings, whatever they were called, the Anvil of Thump, I put a thing out on Twitter saying I need gladiatorial teams for the games and just people just sent them in right. with like full descriptions like you need farmers with agricultural implements. <laughs> the most disappointing ones were Dice and Desire, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I put, I, I, I put them in just to be nice. It feels like that one is written with a specific pacing in mind. Mm. So if you've got yeah. 32 teams, you've got a fixed number of fights. But if you reduced it to 16, wouldn't that mess with the the timing in the original adventure it's a really odd setup where all the teams take the field at the same time yeah and just there's a giant free-for-all and how the hell are you gonna run that that? right at a D weekend with a huge table and a giant battle man that would just be hilarious especially giving each player a team yeah yeah but i think for our purposes i just thought that was just going to get horribly confusing and so i thought i'll cut it down what i thought radically down to 16 teams what i mean eight teams is plenty Anybody listening to this who wants to run this adventure path, eight teams is plenty. But, <laughs> but it I did give say. them a, a time limit between each fight. And yeah, and we didn't know how we didn't know how difficult the other teams were going to be. We didn't know if we were going to get knocked out and therefore not be able to continue. So you've got that kind of pressure of you've got to you've yeah. got to get as much done every night as you can because tomorrow you yeah. may be out. Yeah. I mean, I only started the teams that I knew you were going to face, and I knew sure. who you were going to face. I mean, it's all the whole thing's complete. I know, but it's great. What I liked about it was this idea. We've talked about this before. It's the classic. Uh, you were talking about the famous five. <laughs> um, this still rank miracles with me, by the way, Steve. Excellent. <laughs> but the idea that you have an adventure where you have to effectively sneak around outside school in order to get stuff done, but then you've got to be back, as it were, yeah. at your desk in the morning. Yeah. Well, that adventure had an element of that, that idea that you would do what you did. And then when everybody else went to bed, you would kind of get out there and start sneaking around. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's a bit of Harry Potter, a bit of whatever. Quite Enid Blyton. Yeah. That's a very sort of classic structure. Yeah. That's a really good idea. Gladiatorial games are a great idea. An enclosed environment is a great idea. Put them all together. It's just fantastic. So Lucas and Dan, in terms of that, did that stop you? Well, not stop you. Did it, did it prevent you from sort of diving into combat in between the gladiatorial games more than normal because you sort of think we've got to save ourselves for the I game? I think it did, actually. And, and we had this conversation also because Graham also uh, runs or has run this dungeon, the Barrow Maze, which is basically uh-huh. also you're basically you're in a, in a village somewhere yeah. and effectively where the barrows are between there is like no man's land. You're not allowed to, you know, you don't want to be there at night because nasty things can happen. Mm-hmm. So you're there to sort of, you know, plunder this this barrow. It's all about that dungeon economy stuff. Yeah. So working out what your resources yeah. are for the day. When do you plan when you go down? Okay, we've got eight hours so we can have a combat, but we've got to be back by, you know, 12 o'clock because we're on the eight o'clock game or whatever, you know, and we need eight hours to rest. Yeah. There and, were moments yeah, where I mean, you decided to make your escape because you were worried about whether or not you get enough an opportunity yeah, but to I rest don't enough think that time. it actually detracted in any way I mean I think in a lot of ways it no. actually makes it no, almost no, it, better because if you're in that yeah, kind yeah. of like oh we just hammer away at this room with long rests yeah. until you get it done that's actually yeah. well, book seven positive. everybody yeah yeah <laughs> sorry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> no I thought it was fun. I thought yeah. it was great fun to play and I think yeah, all the bits worked and I think sort of planning how you were going to run your next bout because essentially we had one rest between both sessions and actually we had the rest after the night session so we would go exploring and then we'd have the rest in time for the fight yeah of course so we'd be rested for the fight so the logic was if you could get through the fight having used minimal resources you had more left for the for the evening session which teams did you use mike i'm just gonna have a look have a quick... I have to praise Dan here. I mean, best combat, although it wasn't like in terms of the length of yeah. the stuff we did, but Dan tricking Procyon and Sirius into basically attacking the judges. I mean, they just, I mean, that is, you know, yeah. that is just such a really good moment. You know, you're expecting this really, really long combat. <laughs> <laughs> they so were ra- fun, though. It's two. a Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were fun, those two. I like those two. Yeah. The overhead on that adventure was just coming up with loads of teams, loads of colour, loads of characters, zillions of voices. Yeah. I mean, that was the most complicated adventure I've ever run, I think, as a DM in all my... Whatever. But it worked. I, I had spreadsheets of people. What were your teams, Mike? So I used um, Arcane Origa. Um, I used Oryx Warband. Yeah. I used yeah. ooh, Iron Hill Monkeys. Um, yeah. The snow leopards, the crazy eight. I could just hear Dan and Lucas thinking, "Oh, we didn't get those." <laughs> I, no, I just don't know what any, the, which one grave, of these are. The grave diggers. We had the, the grave, grave diggers. diggers. I, yeah, well, that was we changed that to Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I brought Phil in as well. Um, oh, did yeah. you? Well, yes. You, oh, yeah, Mike. You, I bless your you heart. You have to, don't you? Because you know he—he's my favourite character. He, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's certainly up there. He's not on. He's not on my <laughs> list actually of favourite NPCs. I think that battle 
in the, the gladiatorial things with Filge, where you had all of the past uh, sort of bosses or enemies Cubbins. and that coming back yeah. and, and Madame Watch of the Lodge. Um, <laughs> I won't do the voice. Madame Watch of the Lodge. That was fantastic. Just for, for, us so for all the different characters to come back was great. Those continuations of themes yeah. that, that make a big difference. Yeah. 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 You only just survived book five, by the way. I mean, it was nip and tuck in that last combat. I think Parker was basically done for. And Burple. It was Burple, yeah. Burple. Burple saved the day. I think Uncle Buggy was also a bit of a hero in that combat. But anyway, on to book six. Now, Mike, talk to us about book six. What did you think of it? I, I, enjo- I enjoyed the concept. Mm. And, and interestingly, listening to your podcast today, I have halfway through there i think you sort of summed it up as just was quite a lot a lot of hard work wasn't quite as much fun as maybe it should have been maybe a bit yeah yeah and i I felt i felt like that so i ran it pretty much as was so you included the whole thing with the with the ghoul people and all of that stuff yes yes so i i had yeah don't worry (laughs) so i had them go down the falling river so I had a yes. big complicated yeah. climb down and then some wind warrior ambush bits yeah. down to the true tomb. But I yeah. then had them go right the way down to the very bottom yeah, where the, the, the ghoul and, and that... Whatever he was called. Yeah. Was he called? Marita or Marita, something? Yeah. yeah. Now he had something that... But he had the he had the seal. He, oh, that's it. Yes, he had the he had the seal. So I had them go down and, and find him... I quite enjoyed that one. I thought the the bit where the the pillars when they were hopping across the pillars that was yeah. that was potentially quite interesting. But again, it just didn't quite. Yeah, it's total white. Yeah, those things, yeah, those things really do though. Johnny was a little underwhelmed by it. it. Was like, well, that should be more difficult. Well, you have the air elementals that come up and try and mm. interfere. Really, you could spend hours on that, and all you do is end up on the right pillar at the right time and it's all just a bit of it's a tax basically it's a progress tax yeah paying tax is rarely an interesting process <laughs> if you can make it interesting then fine yeah but otherwise it's just a lot of people going okay i can jump five and then i make a test yeah. and i'll check i do an agility whatever i mean it's just really the main thing that we changed for the pod was we just got rid of all of that Mike. the seal was with um hesty tester pod and then I put a MacGuffin key in to free Hesty Testapod and gave that to Flycatcher the Spider. Oh, yes. Yeah. In the Adventurers Written, Dan and Lucas, you drop past where you found the tomb. Mm-hmm. You're only about a third and of the way down. We have to work our point. way back up again or something. You keep all the way down. and There are these sort of aristocratic ghouls who you have to have this sort of role play standoff with oh God. in order to get the seal and then go all the way back up i would looked at it and i thought that is five or six episodes and we aren't going to do that and so i thought right what we'll do is we'll make more of the spider we'll make the spider jump backwards and forwards to the shadow plane uh. and just condense it down into that and then there's all this stuff that river has got a far bank <laughs> <laughs> that goes on elsewhere and if you go down the dead endy bits that you looked at there is a passage up into a whole other complex of like temple stuff with windjuky things and i just thought this is going to take months yeah so i just got rid of it all yeah there and was I a lot basically junked wasn't there and i junked half at least half the adventure i felt that the journey 
prior to going back into the ken was a little rushed i would have so what, so what happens getting... is you get back there and everything's destroyed and it's like quick run over to the can it's just like yeah i would have had a bit more happen before damn you see there you go the stuff you cut out Mm. And it's interesting from, a, from when I was listening to the bit where you were describing the the river, the Blood River, um, mm. and all of the uh, tributaries and, and going into this room and coming out and go, that got quite hard to follow because um, you yeah. could you obviously had a visual. I'm sh- I think you had a visual, yeah. you guys, and for, mm. for the reader, it was quite difficult to think well, where where are they talking about. So it was yeah. so yeah. when you moved away from that, it was a little bit. And this is only my only little side of it was great i, I can visualize where they are now so uh oh, there's not much else to say about book six is there i mean massively redacted uh, the other thing i changed was i didn't think it was going to be particularly interesting for you to fight the dragon as you came out again yeah so i had i had it dead now <laughs> graham who is not with us sent us some quick fire questions hello <laughs> welcome <laughs> oh, can't, can't resist this it's the entertainment <laughs> Shall I go round with these questions? Let's go round. I'll do the question. Everybody zip round. You tell me what you think. Uh, Graham wants to know best combat in the adventure so far. Let's go round, starting with Dan. Oh, put me on the spot. Um, I'm just going through what I remember. I I kind of liked, strangely, even though it's not my favourite book, the combat in book two which is the one what, with the, the maze which which you yeah. know is basically the section to the right yeah with all of the with all of the cultists and the yeah. giant boar and what's her name in the the, the in, combat room where you go in and she's yeah. on so yeah, so yeah that, that was a good thing combat. Was yeah good. yeah i like that yeah um uh steve i think well the, the couple that stand out for me and this might be a bit of a weird one but when you went down into the passages and behind the curtain there was a bowl with a gooey yes. monster. Yes, in. Mm. this is my answer. And yeah, it yeah, came yeah. out and, and was teleporting up the passageways, and and it split the path. The blancmange. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just think that. And the door we couldn't open. That's it. Yeah, the door you couldn't open. Uh, that's my favourite. And, and I, th- I yeah. think it just really challenged the players, but also they were <laughs> petrified of a curtain, and it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely terrifying. Well, because curtains and tapestries are always of course, bad. of course. Yeah, yeah. it's just one of those rules. And obviously, the face behind that was on the wall. They spent ages thinking it was going to do something dreadful yeah. to them, and it was a one-shot thing. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah, other yeah. one was just the Cubbins and, and gang when they came out yes. and had to fight. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was good. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, as I said your... earlier, um, I mean, I you know, uh, tricking Procyon and Sirius basically. I just, I just really enjoyed cool. the, you know, the trickery. And Mike, what's your favourite combat? And you can answer in terms of being a right a dm yeah. and having run it for your own group and which one has so worked out best for you for me i actually really enjoyed the ulfane combat on the way into the into the can mm. so in my head i had it very much as a big sort of wide open space and i had them trying to cross the big wide open space and i had ulfane sort of coming in and sort of trying to pick them off and things like that uh, and it visually it just worked for me i really liked that one and mine would be, I think, either the fake Hesty Testapod or that. The same one, Steve. I like the blamange when they couldn't open the door. That made me laugh. Yeah. Right. Favourite NPC. Quick. These are quick fire answers. Uh, Dan. Uh, Favourite NPC has got to be Hesty. And your least favourite NPC. Madam Wodge of the Lodge. 
<sighs> Steve. Sorry. Steve. I'd say Cubbins because I know lots of people in London exactly like that. <laughs> and um, the least favourite was Garth Southport. I don't it. know what it is. Maybe it's just Gareth Southgate but himself. Hey, Steve, <laughs> that's a really harsh thing to say. <laughs> Lucas? So I got three favourites just quickly. One, Hesty, <sighs> because, well, he's our man, best in the land. <laughs> Two, Hillary, <laughs> because I really enjoyed the story point of that. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. third, of course, Chang Fankum. Just for the acoustic r- running gag. Yeah, Great. for the laugh. Uh, what about you, Mike? So I think for me, obviously, Hesty, Alistan. But I really like Zirksog as well. Uh, and your least favourite? to everybody's least. My least favourite was the faceless one, because I thought that had so much yeah. potential, but just it just kind of didn't go anywhere, really. Uh, yeah. My least favourite, Laka. It's just so Lahaka. boring. Yeah. It's just like... Well, yeah, it's quite boring. You kept I thinking say that my... there was some necessity to sort of ask her questions or something. Some like, necessity. And she was just the whole yeah, yeah, time yeah. was just, oh, I don't know. <laughs> my um, least favourite was Rachnian. Rachnian, right. They plumb him into the adventure. They plug him in. They wire him in. And then they don't really give you very much to do. So when you, if you, any characters that start going after Rackney and like, where does he live? What does he do? How does he work? There's nothing there. <laughs> There's nothing for you to use. Right. And also he's just like a, such a standard. He's basically kind of, I'll get you meddling. You know, it's just, I didn't like it. And the fact Your that favorite? you have to be there and favorite? then you arrive. My favorite, uh, Talibir. No, I don't know. I love, I love Talibir. Oh, I can't stop doing the voice. Filch. Maybe Marcus. No, let's not get into that. Best plot twist. Dan. Oh, best. That's a tough question. Plot twist. I think was when we found the head of the, that boy. Oh, yes. Spenge, the Spenge kid. Yeah. I was, Steve. I, 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 I we messed up there. I was struggling with this one, and I think that is the only one, because I missed a book or two, I think that's the one yeah. I would pick as well. Lucas. Well, the doppelgangers. Lucas I mean. Lucas on a jet plane. Sorry. <laughs> The doppelgangers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, excellent. Yeah. And that it was Johnny. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Uh, Mike? I think it was the doppelgangers as well. I really enjoyed that bit. I don't think there's another twist as such, right? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. I would go with the doppelgangers. I think it was just very well huh. very well constructed. Now, what were people's most exciting book? Start with Dan. I think we're all going to agree on the same one, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Book, uh, book five. Book five. Yeah. Book yeah. Five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Champions belt. Same as me. Yeah. yeah. Steve. Well, Steve only listened. Steve only listened. Yeah. Five, yes, five, six, six, five <laughs> ones. Uh, no. Yeah. Number five, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to throw a spanner in the words and say number one. I really liked the Whispering Can. I think I said mm. earlier it was to me. It's up there. It's up there with you know many of the of the best single modules. I'd happily run that again. I really torn. I think I enjoyed book five the most, but I think the Hall of Harsh Reflections is just an extraordinary piece of clockwork adventure with all of these bits that all move around. I really think that's a really amazing piece of work. Oh. There we go. What at the dullest moment? I mean, <laughs> the riches that we can pick from. We don't have to do the dullest moment. Do you want? Well, we not do it? I think boring. The only thing I was I was going to say I was I was going to I had a bit of another point which I was going to sort of tie in to this one. One of the things that I think for me added pain and therefore dullness later in the books is just mm-hmm. the plethora of magical items. So five e 
generally yeah. is quite magic limited, you know, ma- magic yeah. tight. Yeah. Whereas this one was almost like a sort of a pinata of magical goodies uh, that you didn't. <laughs> Why achieve. don't we have them? <laughs> because I got rid of them all. Uh, you you have got you have got quite a few. You've got quite a lot. Yeah, You're festooned know. with magical <laughs> items. Like, Seriously, I've got the spreadsheet. Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> Sessions is just like uh, I, 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 I had anyway. I had that exactly. I, I actually wrote this down before tonight, which was divvying up magic items. Um, is <laughs> I said I, I, I sort of it was like kids at a party checking their sort of par- party bags and and um, who's got the flying saucers, who's got refreshers, who's got whatever. And it's that that <laughs> yeah, whole yeah. thing of typical D and D with magic items when they're thrown. It suddenly then becomes a free for all. And I think for the listener, it's fun for a bit until. Then it's not fun. You, yeah, Steve, yeah, I, we I, edit out. Honestly, yeah. Steve, I cannot tell you. <laughs> I cannot tell you the hours that are removed. And it's like, well, let's see if we can get this down to like 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. A very kind reader in the States described it as um, like seagulls fighting over French fries. <laughs> I mean, and bitterness. I mean, we there are, there are literally sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It drives a wedge yeah. between people and... Yeah. What do you think is the bit that the characters completely missed or messed up? That's our last question. I think I said earlier, didn't I? They did all of the Whispering Cairn and then didn't open the tomb of um, Icosial or the original tomb. Uh, Zosial, yeah. Zosial, yeah. yeah. That's extraordinary. So they didn't get any of the goodies. It's a little bit like leaving a massive Christmas present under the tree on uh, Christmas morning. What about you, Dan, Steve? Well, I mean, I've said it before as well. I think where the the doppelganger Hesty, I think that's where we messed yes. up the most. Steve, yeah, I, 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 he has no idea who the doppelganger well, Hesty is. I'm waiting for that one. Yeah, um, but uh, in fact, I probably know more about it now than, than ever. Um, but I, I haven't really got. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. I haven't really got a, um, a a party moment. But I think what's uh, from a individual one it's quite interesting watching uncle buggy constantly get separated and uh, completely misunderstanding everyone else's tactics and then just being left alone and looking <laughs> around going he doesn't what, what what have i done <laughs> he doesn't misunderstand them steve he willfully yeah. ignores them yeah, have met in order to yet, pretend you? no you've not you we need to introduce you to johnny yeah, steve yeah. it's an extraordinary he's an extraordinary individual i mean he really is yeah um <laughs> Yeah, I mean university psychology departments write write papers. <laughs> I, 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 I'm beginning but, but, to call him Johnny Retcon um, because because yeah, uh, yeah uh, yes essentially I never would have done because, that. That's his. I needed to. Yeah. yeah, I never would have done that. Is his? Yeah. Is his? I, I wouldn't yeah. have gone in there if I'd known you'd put a dragon inside that sort of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I would never yeah. have done that. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Can I roll a few dice it's to get fantastic. rid of the bad numbers? It's That's brilliant. my favourite. The idea, the idea that the numbers are queuing up in like number space. Yeah, it's, oh. it's fantastic. Oh. Though. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how much that yeah. irks me. <laughs> Randomness, physics. I've got a really cheesy answer. You didn't I allow me a... to answer the dullest moment. I've got, I've got oh, yeah, a really okay. cheesy answer to that. Because of course, we're not, there aren't no any dull moments in D and D. Because playing D and D is always good. Oh, whatever you're doing. I mean, come on. Okay, moving We've on. We've been doing it for so 40 the, years, isn't it? Yeah, okay, that's the end of that. The, well, the, the, anyway, the, I think that's is. a question. Can I, can I add yes, one more question? Yes, you've never mentioned it. We're running out of time. Very quickly, yeah. the funniest moment. We've got the news at half seven. Now. Yeah. <laughs> funniest moment. Yeah. The funniest moment is you not being able to open the door, probably. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's the most I've laughed, I think. I like the tentacle bombs. 
the, the fish polymorph. Oh, that was my favourite combat. I knew there was something I'd forgotten. My favourite combat was your combat against the, the, the tentacly creatures where you changed the thingy into a goldfish. That was an awesome combat. That's in the Lair of Xerxel. Yeah. In fact, that's my favourite sequence in the whole thing. I knew there was something I'd forget. Steve, you've got that to look yeah, forward to. Yeah, and, and I, I, from the funniest moment, I'd have to have a good think back because I can't think of one. There's loads. There's too many. There's too many. There's breakfast at Bernie. Breakfast <laughs> at Goodness Bernie's. gracious me, I laughed at that. <laughs> just beyond all I'm still thinking. It's just the idea. Hmm. I can't remember who said it. Paul, I think, said he was fine at breakfast. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. That really makes me laugh. It was later in the day that things started to go wrong. By the weekend. <laughs> Stuff still makes me laugh. Anyway, right. Um, everybody, that has been wonderful. Thanks, everybody. That was a really interesting chat. Maybe we should reconvene at some point. Uh, I don't know whether or not we're going to wait to the end of the book, but we should we should check in for another chat Absolutely. at some point. And, oh. Do a recap of each book. Just reconvene well, at the end of each not, book or something. Yeah, I think we've got to cover that. But I mean, we could, yeah. But let's Any just, idea? if we can think of stuff to talk about, and if the readers like this, we'll come back and have another little... This is sort of um, match of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Match of the day too. We're going to have a little match of the day too session at some point we'll just see how we're doing anyway thank you uh, steve thank you mike thank you dan thank you dr eusebio spider lucas thank you leaving on a jet plane everybody knows just chill yeah. we've very much enjoyed our chat uh, readers thanks for putting up with us and we'll see you back in the adventure thanks for having yeah. us bye guys lucas aids all around nice yeah yeah that was a laugh thank you chaps <laughs>